Welcome to another episode of the Black Menaces Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Bird. I'm here with my co-host. Rachel Weaver. We're happy to be back with you guys this week. Yep. Happy to be here as always. And we have an amazing guest on the show today. Uh, a black man who's out here trying to make some history doing his thing. Mm-hmm. Isaiah, introduce yourself, my friend. Yo, my name is Isaiah Hughes. I'm from Jersey, not even from out here. Um, but I'm in medical school at in Jersey, Cooper Medical School of Rowan University. Love to hear it. Black men in medical school. This is actually the first black person that I know of, like uh, that's on the the track to medical or that's like been in medical school. I've never met another black person that's in medical school or anything like that. So super excited to interview him. Um, but before we do that, we got our menace moment, Rachel. Yes. Okay. I'm actually super excited for our menace moment today because it's in correlation with what we we're doing this weekend, the Black Menaces. If you um, don't follow us on Instagram, um, we were invited to speak at the Athlete Ally Conference or Summit that they had this weekend, and it was their second annual one. And so I want to feature um, their founder, Hutton Taylor, and kind of the story of why he started Athlete Ally 12 years ago. Okay. And so he... Um, Basically, the story starts as he was he's a three time All-American wrestler at the University of Maryland, and he was ranked such second in the country um, headed into his senior year for his division. And he was also a theater major um, from his other major, which they don't list. Um but from wrestling and theater, he felt like he was in two different worlds. Um, and being in theater, he felt like he always had a lot of respect um, for the LGBTQ plus community. Um, and he had lots of friends and classmates coming out. Um, and he wanted to help um, encourage other people to be accepting. And so in solidarity with the the community, um, he decided to wear a like a pride sticker, LGBTQ plus equality sticker on his headgear Um and so he did encourage like a lot of criticism from his team- teammates um, for doing that. But he also received a lot of national media attention and he received thousands of emails from parents and closeted athletes encouraged by his advocacy. And from that, it got him thinking if I could achieve this impact as a wrestler, which um, isn't like the most popular sport, he um, thought about what would it look like if he was maybe a football player or a basketball player um, and got other people to be um, on his team and other athletes to support the LGBTQ plus community. And then that's kind of what started him um, starting Athlete Ally 12 years ago. And it's really cool because it has really expanded to now they have 12 full-time employees um, as a nonprofit. They are sponsored by Adidas and many other um, smaller uh, companies. That's just who sponsored the summit this uh, weekend. And just some of the cool things that they've been able to do that I want to highlight is um, they were able to participate and now they work on a lot of policy focus um, campaigns. And so one of the things that they did is they um, persuaded Massachusetts Governor uh, Charlie Baker to protect protect tra- transgender people from discrimination in public spaces in 2016. Um as well as uh, creating the landmark campaign Principle 6, which successfully lobbied the International Olympic Committee to include sexual orientation in the Olympic Charter. So um, I think that's really cool. And they they have a ton of ambassadors and they have uh, chapters at at a lot of campuses. And so when we were there this weekend, we met people from the University of Nebraska, um, the University of Washington, as well as uh, Cornell University was where they, they started their first chapter. And so it's cool to see how, you know, similar to us. He just had an idea, wanted to show support and um, advocate for a community. And now it's grown into this giant nonprofit. And um, um, it's really cool to see all the things that they do and 
the amount of, I think there were around maybe 150, 200 athletes that were there this weekend. And it was just really cool to see them, their campuses, all supporting this and, and working on inclusion, uh, not just for LGBTQ plus athletes, but really all marginalized communities within athletics. Because um, although what we might see on media might be a lot of Black people from these schools, it's still um, not really diverse when you look at all of the athletic programs um, that exist at D1 colleges. And so mm -hmm. um, just shout out to Hudson for what he did and continues to do in uplifting other communities. Um, definitely inspiration to us. And um, I hope it inspires other people to, to always stand up because you never know what your, your one moment could turn into. So shout out to Hudson. Yeah. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. And I, I feel like um, that's so important, like having allies for athletes, because that's like a, it's a, an intersection where it's very easy to to kind of fall into like one trope, right? Like, uh -huh. you got like the whole stereotype of the dumb jock um, kind of thing. Yeah. Where it's like they expect athletes to just kind of be like one thing. Like when you think of an athlete, you think of somebody that's like big and strong and like toxic masculinity, all that yep. kind of stuff that kind of goes into it. So, um, like having a way to provide um, places for like people to express themselves in other ways, I think is important. And like, it would be cool to see that adapted into the professional sports world too. Like, I can yes. only think of one one athlete that I know that's like come out publicly as gay, at least th th that I know of. Like, I'm sure there probably been more, but like, um, I don't know if y'all remember Michael Sam. Yeah, I remember. You remember Michael Sam? Yeah. Yeah. There's another one. Um, I want to say Carl Nassib. I forget his name, but he's a DN for the uh the oh, Raiders. For the for he was in, he was for the Raiders, yeah. Yeah, he okay. just came out um I think just this past this past season. Yeah, yeah. okay. I remember him for sure. Um and yeah, his, his was unique because he was already like in the NFL. Yeah. I know Michael Sam, he came out like right before the NFL draft. So he yeah. was in college. Um and there was like a lot of controversy around it because I guess like he wasn't like that high on the draft card to begin with. And then I think he ended up like not getting drafted after he came out as gay, like right before, or either he was drafted and he like didn't last very long or like the contract yeah. didn't finalize or something like that. But I just remember him coming out and there was kind of like some big uproar on ESPN. They were talking about it and stuff like that. But yeah, it would be cool to see uh, sports, professional sports become a place for um, athletes of all different intersections to to be able to express themselves. Mm -hmm. So that's cool. I'm glad you and, that. Yeah. And I think one of the goals of Athlete Ally is to try to, you know, get people from sports on campuses that get a little more attention mm -hmm. um, to support, right? Because it's one thing if, you know, the swimming team is supporting, which mm -hmm. is great, yeah. but um, the teams that make a lot of schools money that the school pays attention to are, you know, sports with a lot of hyper-masculinity. Mm -hmm. um, and so they're hoping, that's one thing that they hope to eventually tap into. And um, obviously we as Black Menaces want to help in any way we can because, um, that's where that's when schools really listen when it comes to money. OK, with anything, <laughs> same with the stuff we did at BYU, when people's pockets are going to hurt. They're going to listen. And I think um, feeling that, that solidarity from the, those teams is really crucial. And I think that's what they're working towards next and hopefully getting some. I don't know, basketball player, football player, or I don't know what are other big volleyball is really big at BYU. So even like a volleyball player um, to really like uh, be an ambassador is something that they're looking forward to doing. That would be dope. I'll never forget my uh, when I was still at BYU. I remember we were getting ready for perspectives, which is like the big Black History Month celebration that we do in February. Um, just like where we, it's like a talent show, but like there's people expressing themselves in a different way. And it's supposed to be just like a way to offer different perspectives on Black history, yes. right? Um, and uh, 
our friend T was trying to get the the football team to participate because that's a large concentration of black students at BYU. Like it is. Most of the black people at BYU are going to be athletes. And then you have a few others that are international, stuff like that. But she was trying to get them to participate just by, um, they were going to do like a lip sync video to Brown Skin Girl oh. when that came out. Yeah. And they they said no. I think the a few of the players had said, yeah, that's fine. But then the coach turned it down because he yep. felt that it didn't fit like the mold of what a BYU football player should represent. And I remember... Yeah. She came into our apartment just like storming. Like I swear there was a storm cloud over her head. And she was like, the patriarchy, ah, I hate it. She was like, ah, punching stuff, like punching the couch in our house. And I was like, man, that's that's crazy. You know, that um, you know, you can't even like lip sync the brown skin girl for Black mm. History Month. Like it's you know, just that that whole idea of like toxic masculinity, like what an athlete should look like, what an athlete should be. So, yeah. And and that was what we talked about a lot with the athletes as well this weekend was just, I mean, they were telling us kind of how they're what they're expected to do and like the way they have to present themselves representing the school not just with social things but also just in every aspect and you know they're like we aren't even these top top people at our university that are representing and we still have that pressure on us and expectation from coaches and different administrators and so I can only imagine what it would be like you know I mean I can imagine the impact of like a football player at Alabama said something right but mm. also the restrictions are a lot higher because their stakes are a lot higher in terms of like what they represent where they're trying to go um but that's what the greatest impact has had in my opinion is people who have more to lose and um, they also have more influence um and the ability to to say something so um it's a different world out there with the athletes and i applaud the ones that do stand up and do what they can because um in a lot of ways sometimes even if they want individually to do it um, their hands are tied because of the position that they're in and um, eventually, I mean, they all want a lot of them want to play professionally, and so mm -hmm. they have to worry about that as well, which kind of sucks. But yeah, that's true. Yeah. I so, remember um, that one LeBron thing. It was like just shut up and dribble. Oh mm. yeah, uh -huh. yeah. Talking about that hyper masculinity and just you're expected to play. That's it. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. Don't talk about politics, Colin Kaepernick type of stuff. Oh like, yeah. Just play. We don't want you to say nothing. We don't want you to do nothing. Just perform on the field, court, whatever it is. But I like what y'all are saying. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't even thought about that. I forgot about Shadow and Dribble. <laughs> and it's the crazy thing is because they don't mind. Like you remember what's his name? Uh, that fool who got his jaw broke by Usman, Kobe Covington. Mm -hmm. Nobody cared when um, when he was talking about like when he was calling black people monkeys or when he was wearing his Make America Great Again hat and all that kind of stuff. But then as soon as a black person speaks up, then that's when they want to be like, oh, shut up and dribble or just play the game. You know, don't yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, that's interesting. But yeah, it's, it would be it would be dope to to see professional athletics like make a space for all people you know to do their thing but yeah um with that we just gonna jump into your interview man yes all right we cool, got a lot cool. we want to cover yes um, and talk to you about because like i said i've never met anybody um like i've never met another black person in like medical school in actual medical school yeah, i've yeah, met yeah. like doctors like when they're finished <laughs> see i don't even think i have i've never met like a black doctor i don't think oh yeah. i feel like i have there's there's like a black physicians like organization here which i don't know mm -hmm. if you've ever met them here no I no I, okay before i actually came <laughs> i was looking up like university of utah's like uh doctor list yeah this is very far a few in between mm, um, sure. but yeah no i actually haven't heard of that Okay, well, I'll definitely connect you with them after this, uh, <laughs> yeah. just because there is a group of black doctors here. Um, yeah, I've met doctors, but I just ha I haven't actually met someone like in the actual medical school. So I've got questions about <laughs> what that's like, just in yeah. general. So 
and I, you know, before we started the interview, I was asking you a bunch of questions. I was like, hold on, I got to save it for, I got to save it for the interview. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm just so curious, man. So, so tell us a little bit about like what, uh, what got you started? Like what made you want to go to med school in the first place? Yeah. So, um, I'll start all the way from the beginning. So originally, so I guess even back before that, when I was a kid, I used to play sports. I used to football, track, soccer, all that. Um, and then my grandmother, she used to go to physical therapy. We would stay with her sometimes and she would go to physical therapy. I went with her one time and I was like, oh, this is real cool. Like when she got back to the house, she felt better. So I was like, all right, you know, I like that. Like they helped her out. She has her quality of life back to some extent. Um, I was like, I, I want to be a physical therapist. So I didn't know I wanted to be a doctor until my sophomore year of college. Mm. Um, I did this program at the school that I go to now. It's called Pulse. And it's basically a summer program for underrepresented students that want to get into medicine. And they have like three phases. So the first phase is kind of just like pre-health, like whether you want to be PA, PT, OT, whatever. I was like, all right, I'm going to just do that, you know, just have something on my resume. Um, and then that's the first time I saw a black doctor mm. um, because they would have doctors come in to talk to us. Um, and there was also an advisor that I had um, who was really like, nah, I think you can do this. And even there was a, a, a I think he was a senior at the time. Um, he actually goes to my school now, um, but he's like, a, he's about to go into his fourth year. He went to the same undergrad as I did. So mm -hmm. I was a freshman going to sophomore year. He was about to graduate. Um, college and I was he was talking to me he was like nah bro I think you can like actually do that and mind you he's black too um so he was like nah I think you can actually do that so I was like all right cool you know yeah like, let me try this out. yeah let me you try should this out. Yeah. yes yeah and then um after I did that program that's when it really started to be like all right you know I think I could see myself being a doctor and then I started to like formulate my reason for wanting to be a doctor because again if those people and those programs were never there for me I wouldn't be where I am. So now I want to be a black doctor and, you know, go back and practice in black communities. Um, and one of the biggest things I always say is you can't be what you can't see. Mm -hmm. So hopefully I can, you know, be that person that, you know, a young boy, you know, a young uh, black kid sees um, when I'm actually a doctor that, you know, he sees me as like, all right, I can do that. You know what I mean? So, yeah, that's, yeah. that's it in a nutshell. Love that. Yeah, medical school, um, I've had friends that have, like, wanted to be doctors and have gone through the process, and it's so extensive, like, getting into school, the whole process. So um, what was that like for you once you knew, like, okay, this is the path I want to go down? Um, did you have to change? Because you wanted to do physical therapy, so mm -hmm. I'm assuming you were still in some type of science, but, yeah. like, what did that change look like and um did you lean on people to help you it sounds like you had a great support system of people who are encouraging you so i just want to know like what was that experience like as you were transitioning to going like pre-med or something yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um going from high school to college like i said i know i wanted to do physical therapy at the time so i actually applied for this program called it was like a three plus three program because um physical therapy is three years um after medical school Oh, okay i didn't i didn't know that yeah it's only three years and so the program that i was going to do was a three plus three program and so um the the school that i had i had applied to they didn't ex or they accepted me but they didn't give me enough scholarship money oh so if they had given me enough scholarship money i would be like stuck on the physical therapy path mm. so I went into college. I went to Rowan University. Um, 
mostly because my dad went there and I didn't have to pay tuition. Yeah. Hey, um, <laughs> hey, I would have done it too. Yeah. So, <laughs> so and that, was my, that was what my mom said. She was like, you can go anywhere you want just as long as it's cheaper than that. And there's yeah. very few. few schools that can beat no tuition. Exactly. Um, so I ended up going there as a biology major. Um, and then once I figured out that I wanted to do physical therapy, I was like, all right, I'm gonna switch my major um, to health exercise and science mm -hmm. because a lot of their classes was more like kinesiology, um, biomechanics, like right. more stuff that was like, all right, you know, if I'm going the physical therapy route, then these are the classes I'm gonna take in physical therapy school anyway. So I'm gonna take these classes. So I switched my major, I think my fall semester, like the end of my fall semester, my freshman year. Then I did the program. They was like, uh, so there's a lot of prerequisites that you have to take to get into medical school. You have to take organic chemistry, oh, yes. general mm -hmm. chemistry, biology, physics. And a lot of those prerequisites weren't like required in the health and exercise science major. Mm. So I had to switch back to biology. Um, so I switched back after the program. So going to my sophomore year, I was back in biology. Um, and then I was always like a relatively good student. So as far as like my grades, my grades didn't really have to change. But um, I did have slight flex, slight flex. <laughs> no, I love <laughs> that. I love that. No, yeah. I, hey, but, flex um, yourself. Yes. Yeah, but I guess because as much as people want to say, oh, medical school, they want a holistic applicant. You know, we're not really worried about the GPA. They're worried about They're worried it. about they, it, yeah. They definitely care. Yeah. They definitely do. So it was like, all right, now I have to make sure that I'm really cognizant on keeping my GPA up, um, making sure that I'm getting my uh, my shadowing hours, my volunteer hours and stuff like that. So my sophomore year, that's when COVID hit. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, so I was actually shadowing a doctor. They were sports medicine non-operative. Um, and then I got to shadow her two times and then COVID shut everything down. Mm. Um so I didn't really have any shadowing hours at first. Then my junior year, um, I was about to go in my junior year, and that's when I started taking the MCAT. Woo. So uh, if you don't yeah. know what the MCAT is, it's the basically the medical school entrance exam. Um, I don't know exactly what it stands for, medical something, something, something. Um, but yeah, so that's like the one and all test that you have to do well to get into medical school with that. Mm -hmm. Like again, holistic applicant but the range the score ranges from 488 to 528 okay, so that's <laughs> okay that's a very that's okay very narrow, that, yeah. um and it goes by percentile 500 is about 50 percentile Jeez. they probably won't even look at you unless you have a 500 okay um and if you really like want to be safe you need like 510 ish plus okay. and that's actually kind of hard because 510 is about 80 percentile 70 okay. 80 percent okay wow yeah yeah so um there's a whole story i don't know if y'all want me to get into it yes <laughs> yes we want to hear the story so all right i had a so my advisor that i had through the post program she was like separate from like my actual pre-med advisor at okay rowan. so i was talking to my pre-med advisor because at rowan technically you needed um a letter of recommendation from like the pre-health committee so you had to talk to the pre-health advisor to like, you know, set that up because it was a whole like meeting interview thing and da, 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 da. So I'm talking to her and she was like, so you about to take the MCAT? I was like, yeah, cool. Um, she was like, all right, who are you taking it through? So I ended up taking it through um, the post program. They offered me a free MCAT course. Oh, yeah. Now that's what's up. That's, that's what I'm nice. saying. Because MCATs, I know they're, they're like the hundreds. The test of... itself is $320. Yeah. A lot of like they 
there's like a lot of different uh, study resources. So there's like Kaplan, Princeton Review, mm-hmm. all these things. These are like thousands of dollars. Mm-hmm. So she's like, what are you going to do? I'm gonna, I was like, I'm going to take the MCAT class that Cooper's offered me. She was like, nah, don't do that. Help take the Princeton one. I was like, why? She was like, if you take the Cooper one, you know, you don't need that. Like, da 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 She was like, just take the Princeton one. It's only 1700 Huh? Only. Only. <laughs> We're in a different situation, <laughs> no. ma'am, because if someone said only 1700 in my undergrad, I'd say, and that's only just not going to happen because <laughs> right. that is not happening at all. Yeah. So, and mind you, the course that I, I took was free. So I'm like, cool, but I'm not doing that. And she was like, she was very adamant on like me not taking this course. And she was like, um, oh, I don't think you know what you're missing out on. Da, 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 da. I'm like, well, I you, stopped talking. Do you have Princeton money? Like, do you have Princeton money, ma'am? Like, <laughs> I don't know. But, um, and she was very like, she, so she also wanted me to take a gap year. I didn't take a gap year. Um, I literally just graduated 2022. Which is, like, round of applause yeah. for that because yeah. most people I know take a gap year. Yeah. So that, great amazing yeah, that's impressive very impressive yeah. but um she wanted me to take a gap year because she was like um because again mind you so i said that my sophomore year that's when COVID happened and i was able to shadow like twice so i only had like eight shadowing hours or whatever mm. so she's on the phone asking me oh yeah how many uh shadowing hours you have i was like yeah like eight or so she's like mm-hmm. eight <laughs> yeah, you're not going nowhere with that oh, i was wow. like oh yeah nah that's crazy yeah this is your advisor this is my advisor and she wow. really on the phone she was like yeah you're no you're not going anywhere eight hours oh, yeah well, you need to take uh, a gap year you need to take this princeton review course da, da, da. i'm like it's not where's her solution she's only telling you like you're doing mm-hmm. wrong no 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 where's the like aren't you supposed to like encourage people yeah. isn't that part of your okay yeah no resources like i'm yeah. like seventeen hundred dollars i don't got that my parents don't got that yeah. so where am i getting the 1700 exactly oh, you got princeton money she was like, like she was like oh yeah there's a discount for like three hundred dollars ma'am that don't be so for real what what are we at what is that fourteen hundred that's still doing nothing that's for a me whole month of rent yeah, yeah. <laughs> so i like i said i stopped talking to her but my advisor that i had through a post program she was like i said very like supportive like mm. she was the one that got me the uh shadowing opportunities because once my s- junior year my summer into junior my summer into senior year, i'm sorry um that's when i like things kind of started opening back up a little bit i was able to shadow and she got me those kind of opportunities um and like i said so she got me those shadowing opportunities um she was the one like on me like What's your grades like? You know, yeah. what are you doing? Where's your volunteer hours? Stuff like that. So like I said, if it wasn't for that advisor, another reason I probably wouldn't be in this position. Yeah. Yeah. That's important, man. And I, I got to ask, this may sound bad, but like <laughs> the advisor that was telling you to pay the $1,700, yeah. um, what was their ethnicity? I think that she was Indian or something like that. She was a podiatrist. Okay, gotcha, mm. gotcha, gotcha. Um, and then what about your advisor for Pulse? She's actually Indian too. Oh wow! Oh, okay, yeah. What's That's a what's a podiatrist? A podiatrist is a foot doctor. Okay, like, so they go to podiatry school. They don't go to medical school. They're still like doctors, but they're but like different. Doc- yeah, I see. But she she thought she was like that hot. <laughs> oh, she thought she was that girl. Yeah, yeah. She was wow. like, oh, you you know what I did? Like this, is how I did. I'm like, man. Come on now. Yeah. That's but, interesting. That's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, okay. So now 
you do all this and you apply your senior year, correct, mm -hmm. to medical school. Yeah. And what was that process like? Because I also know that that's, again, medical school in general and becoming a doctor is honestly, it's so crazy, the process. Um, I know that it's like you have to apply to a ton of schools or like it's expensive to apply to schools as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So like what was that like um, in your head just for your experience, like applying to schools and figuring yeah. out where you wanted to go and as well as money and um <laughs> Yeah, just yeah. take me through that as well. Of course, of course. So um, I actually kind of got a little in into Cooper okay. um, because I did the MCAT class. Um, and basically the teachers from the MCAT class were like current medical students at Cooper. Mm -hmm. um, and like they kind of like gave us like little report cards and stuff like that. And so they would like track our progress. And so I was doing well in that class. Mm um and they was like all right you know towards the end of the class they was like all right you know we really like how your work ethic you know i did all three because like i said at first i was only going to do that first phase mm -hmm. of the program i ended up doing all three mm -hmm. um and it was like we're really cool with you like we were familiar with you so you apply here you're basically guaranteed a, a spot here hey so that's what's like, up all right cool so i kind of i still had to do like all the application stuff i had to write a personal statement i had to do my extracurricular activity stuff i had to you know do all this stuff i still had to interview um so i didn't really have to interview to all these places mm. um necessarily but um it was still a process um and like i said that post advisor she helped me out a lot with it um and like i said they were basically saying it's guaranteed but nothing in life is guaranteed so 100 percent. yeah so i still had to you know do all that and back to what you said like if i didn't have this in like i said this the post program they really like helped me a lot because if i didn't have that to apply to one school it's like a hundred dollars each application yep. fee is like 50 to 100 dollars yep uh, yeah so imagine if i didn't have this in i have to apply to all these different schools I think the average amount of schools like a, a applicant applies to is like ten to twenty. Yeah, from what I from what I know as well mm. from my friend who also applied to yeah. medical school. Yeah. And imagine if you don't get in the first time. That's another, yeah. you know, next year, same yeah. thing. Yeah. I know people mm -hmm. that do like multiple rounds of that. Mm -hmm. So it's like two thousand dollars. Exactly. Paying to just apply to a school that you might not even get in. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't include all the fees for the test and everything like yeah, that. Yeah, like I said, the MCAT, $320. So imagine mm -hmm. if you got to retake that, another 600 yeah. And they do have like, if, you, if you're like, uh, if you have a certain, like if you're not making like a certain amount of money, mm -hmm. I think it's like 150 but still. You That's know, still a lot though. Exactly. To take a test. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I remember when the ACT was like, I don't know. The ACT is probably like under hundred, but I still remember being like, "Dang, this is a lot of money to take a test." Like, mm -hmm. and I remember being like stressed about paying for it. Um, and so, wait, if I can ask, what type of um, I do know this about medical school. <laughs> what type of program is it? Is it like MD versus like the what's the other Dio. one? DOC. I know yeah. a little something. Okay, so, I so. guess <laughs> if we want to bring back that other advisor, right? So. There is MD and DO. So MD is your allopathic medicine and your DO is your osteopathic medicine. Um, the general person, you're not really going to know the difference. I was going to say, you're going to have to. Yeah. No, <laughs> yeah, somebody, like you five. won't know the difference as a regular, yeah, like as person, a regular doctor, person. You like, wouldn't know. <laughs> you'll never know. Um, but the main difference is at like how they're taught. So um, MD was first, like that's the first medical kind of profession degree. Um, 
And that's like your general, like you learn as you learn. So Dio was, I think, originated probably like World War One or so. Um, and their philosophy is they try to do like holistic medicine. So one of their like, um, one of the things that they do basically is they get taught uh, OMM, which is osteopathic manipulative medicine. So they get taught and they have to do like 400 hours before they graduate, um, basically like doing things with their hands, whether it be like massages, you know, manipulation, whether it's like moving a joint or something like that. They're basically like wanting to help cure the body in a sense without using medicine. Mm -hmm. So they, they, um, they use a lot of that osteopathic, like manipulative medicine. But then again, in general practice, a lot of them don't even use it. So it's not really like, it does play into, so just, I think this past year or two years ago, um, deals kind of have like a stigma like a stigmatism oh, against them yeah oh, wow. like people don't really like Dio. well oh. not that they don't like them in the medical community mm. they're not thought of as highly as md because oh. Dio mm. schools you don't need as high of a mcat score oh um they accept a lot more like holistic applicants so mm. Dio is kind of thought of as like oh if you can't get into an md school you'll go to a Dio school oh so okay. back to that advice that i so had it's kind of like the dynamic between like doctors and like uh i think it's probably changing a little bit like doctors and chiropractors yeah. I like they kind of view chiropractors as like quack doctors kind of like that yeah okay yeah. interesting oh interesting. wow that i didn't know of... that i didn't know this i just knew there was a difference i didn't know they had like this stigmatism around it. okay wow All right, not yeah. classism in the medical right I... <laughs> yeah, yeah and like i said back to that advice i originally wanted to do do school because like that oh like that omm like mm -hmm. that's very similar to pt and like i said i wanted to do physical oh, therapy yeah, at, that makes at sense. the time right that same advisor she was like you want to do do nah i don't do that like come on lady but yeah so she she was very against me doing do i ended up doing md because that's what cooper is but it's, i don't have an issue with do like they do the same amount of work, yeah. if not more, because so another test that we have to take is called steps. So we take step one, two, and three, <laughs> and that's what we take in medical school. Oh, lots of tests. Okay. I'm is, like, is that how you is that how you get from like year to year? Um, kind of. So step one you take in between your second and third year. Step two you take in between your third and fourth year. Step three you take in residency, okay. and that's when you become like board certified. Gotcha. gotcha. Residency programs look at step scores. DO schools aren't obligated to take steps. They have to take another test called Comlex. But what ends up having to happen is a lot of DO students have to take Comlex and STEP oh, wow. because residency programs kind of like preferentially like accept the STEP, step score. score. So they okay. end up having to do more work. Wow. You know, interesting. Okay. Oh, I'm, I'm just overwhelmed by all the tests. <laughs> um, so wait, what year are you in there? Was this your first year? Yeah, I just finished my first okay. year. I'll be starting my second year in August. Okay. What are your like takeaways of year one from medical school? <laughs> I, I just heard year one of any like professional degree is typically everyone's like, it's the worst because you're just like adjusting, understanding. Mm. Um, so like what has that been like being in medical school? I'm just thinking of Grey's Anatomy. I'm so sorry. <laughs> and so I know that's residency and like yeah. intern stuff and, and it's also surgery, but um what has that been like? Um, yeah. year one so um first year of medical school it's definitely been a change i had to learn how to study um because studying for medical school and studying for undergrad and studying for high school completely different things i, okay. I bet yeah. i was gonna say if you in medical school and you just not learning how to study and you had a biology <laughs> degree in, in college i'm like this, this no nah, like genius. okay it's it's like you you think you know how to study uh -huh. until you get to those upper like mm. 
Right. Whether it's like medical school or even like getting your master's, your doctorate in something else. Like you think you know law, how to study. I mean, that's what I've heard about there. people from law school. Like you have yeah. to learn. It's different. And like the way they, te- it also each one, I don't know if you've mm-hmm. experienced this, but what I've heard is like they test different too, which is oh, why yeah. you have to relearn how to study. Like yeah. in mm-hmm. law school, some, it's only like you literally taking one test for your entire grade for that that class for the term. Yeah. And so it's like, that. that's why they have to learn how to study differently if it's, mm-hmm. it's not this. It's not the same, like, oh, yeah, I have, like, a bunch of assignments and, like, three tests. It's like, no, sometimes you just have one test, and that's your whole grade. Yeah, so, and yeah. a lot of it, it's not, like, with law school, it's not quality, or it's not, like, what am I trying to say? It's not just, like, a grade. Like, you get this amount of questions right, and you you pass the test. It's, yeah. like, it's based on the quality of your work. Yeah. like, for the LSAT, I've taken the LSAT. I'm actually going to take it again um, this summer. But, like, you have to you have to change the way that you think about like how you view the question and you have oh, to like yeah. learn to play the game. And if you don't know how to play that game, right. And like, you can know how to play the game, but if you don't know how to play it fast enough, that's mm, like what differentiates yeah. your time. Cause it's like, anybody can learn how to do it, but it's like, can you do it fast enough to like, to get it done? So yeah, yeah it's, it's different. Yeah, so I'm so, just, yeah. It's medical school like that kind of learning how to yeah definitely change what you think. Yeah. Massage definitely. like, okay, I thought this, but now it has to go <laughs> like this. Yeah, definitely. Because, and you even start learning that when you're studying for the MCAT. Mm-hmm. So MCAT, medical school, and I'm even assuming like the LSAT, like they don't ask first order questions. They're not going to ask you the definition of something. They're going to ask you, all right, this patient has this disease. What do you treat them with? Or they could say, they could spin it back. Like, all right, we have gave a patient this drug. They experienced these side effects what was the uh what was the diagnosis that they got so not only do you have to know like what the medicines do you have to know what they're for what are their side effects so wow. it's not like Man, so you, you can, gotta understand you can't you just have memorize. to understand you can't just memorize wow. so that's, that's why, very different yeah yeah that's why it's like very like i can't just sit here do flashcards all day and all right i got it mm-hmm. no like i have to sit there whether it be on a whiteboard or something, I have to understand this. Mm. Um, so that was very uh, a big, a big uh, turnaround coming in my first year. Um, also, I guess like the atmosphere. Um, mm. So in medical school, people are kind of like gunners. Um, like everybody's trying to like oh. prove that they belong. Mm. Um, and I'm very like laid back. Like I'm here. Mm. I'm gonna do what I gotta do. I'm go. Um, but also just the fact that like it, that was also the first time I was around a lot of like majority of people. I guess you could say, um, like white people. Yeah. Um, because even I went to a PWI, but I just hung around black people. Oh yeah. Um, now in my school, there's five black people out of wow. 150, 120. Ooh. Wow. 120. Yeah. Um, yeah. So not only academically did I have to adjust, but socially I had to adjust. Mm. Um, and even just like learning the ins and outs of like, how do I want, how do I get to residency? Because residency, you're not guaranteed a residency. So that's so crazy things. to me. Medical school, yeah. again, that's so crazy. <laughs> like you're not guaranteed. I'm sorry, do all these four years. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, you still might not make it. Yeah, yeah so I have to think of, from day one, mm. what are some things that I need to be doing now to like help me get into residency? That's why I'm out here, really. Yeah. Because um, I want to do orthopedic surgery, and that's one of like the most competitive specialties out there. Mm. Um, so I need a lot of research. I need to do really well on my grades and my tests. Um, I need to have a whole bunch of you know extracurriculars and stuff like that. So that's another thing that I had to adjust to. Just and then 
not only do I have school stuff, I still have family stuff. I still have, I want to be me. I want to still have fun. Be so, a person. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's a lot to adjust in the medical school. Yeah. Hey, I, I can only imagine. My mom is a nurse. Um, she's an RN and um, nursing school is um, intense as well in a different mm, way. Yeah, definitely. And she always talks about nursing school and she's like, yeah, I didn't do anything. <laughs> she does. Yeah. If you ask her, she's like, yeah, I went to school, studied, came home went to school, studied. Came, that's all she did for the time that she was in nursing school. And she was like, it was just a sacrifice I had to make. And um, because medicine is no joke. That's always mm-hmm. how she describes it is um, she talks about when she was doing like her pharmaceutical period and like learning all the drugs, like when you were talking yeah, about that. Yeah. She says that that's just such a crazy time <laughs> because you genuinely have to know every single drug, mm-hmm. what they mean. And like, that's, I think that's crazy because I'm like, wow, she learned that in nursing school. You had to know that like on the MCAT, like beforehand, which is, it's just crazy to think like how much information you have to understand, not just memorize, right? But also like yeah. understanding dosage as well and, mm-hmm. and what that looks like. So I can only imagine, wow. Yeah. So, Tell us about the uh, about the social adjustment, because that's a big change going from like growing up around black people, hanging out mostly with black people, like people of color, and then going into an environment where it's highly competitive. And then also you are like very much like it's very much apparent that you're a minority or like mm-hmm. that you're a marginalized person. So like talk about that. You wearing sweater vests and playing the back nine on the weekends. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> no, no. Um, so, yeah, so I'm actually so the uh, the town that I grew up in, all black. Um you know, family, all black. Uh, I went to a PWI and hung around all the black people. Right. And now here I am, medical school, there's five of us. It's very hard to only be around, you know, yeah. black people at this point because mm-hmm. now it's like no avoiding it. Yeah. So I was trying. Um, I tried my best. So basically I, I wasn't trying to like fit in though. Um, I was still trying to be myself. Um and that's one of the things, like, me and my boy, we're the only two black men in the uh, class. Mm. And we talk a lot about, all right, are we just going to, you know, change up how we talk? Mm. Do we have to, like, step on stones or, you know, eggshells, you know, when we're addressing people? Mm. To a certain extent, yes. Like, you have to be professional. You have to, like, adapt to a certain extent. But I feel like what my big goal was to not, was not to lose my identity. Yeah. Like still, so we have these things called like AOGs, they're um, active learning groups. And so basically we get like a case once a week um, and it'll basically be like, oh, this patient comes in with this, that, and a third. Um, what is what is wrong with them? Uh, how do we treat it? All this. But there's always like some type of biopsychosocial um, connection to it. So whether it's like, oh, the patient is African-American, they can't afford or they don't have health insurance. One of the things that we have to talk about while we're in this group is, all right, how do we address this? Mm. So that's those are the times that I try and like bring out like, all right, let's think about like, I, my boy is from the hood for for like he might not have this, like he might not have access to that. Let's say it's something like, um obesity is kind of like a, a subset so let's, there's this thing called like a uh, skiffy it's called slip capital femoral epiphysis or something like that um basically it affects a lot of um overweight kids mm. and it can basically like their femur basically like snaps almost to wow. a certain extent but one of the risk factors is obesity so if mm. the case says oh it's a black child who's you know overweight all right so let's think of all right because he's overweight isn't it might not just be 
you know, he's strictly overweight. He might be in like a food desert. He might just mm. be eating a whole bunch of fast food. Yeah. Um, and so those are the type of things that I'll try and like bring to the conversation. Um, and even when I'm out with my friends, like socially, like we go, you know, do whatever. I still try to be myself um, mm. no matter what, no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I have a lot of thoughts, follow up to that. <laughs> um, one being, I don't know your thoughts on this. Something that I have struggled with as... Like I've moved, like I graduated last summer mm -hmm. and I'm working full time. And it's just like professionalism is rooted in white supremacy. Yeah, And I don't, I hate that I have to change the way I present myself to be seen as like, um, just taken seriously, to be mm -hmm. taken seriously, you have to change mm -hmm. yourself. So like what, I don't know if you have any experiences or just thoughts on how that has been. Like, I don't know. I feel like I get really frustrated because I want to be this authentic version of yourself that you're talking about. And I yeah. love it because I try to hold true to that. Um, but sometimes I, I still feel like this, I get in the moment and like, then I don't do it. I don't know if that happens to you yeah, at all. Like yeah. you have this idea of like, I want to stay true in this way, but then it comes out and it's, it doesn't. Yeah. Uh, I feel like even one of the main ways I try and stay true to myself, my hair. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I was like, going to say, you better keep them locks. I'm trying to see you. I got yeah. you. <laughs> like, literally, all there is a few other black men in my, my grade, or not in my grade, in my school. All of them have shortcuts. Mm. I make a joke. I'm not in any of our pictures, like our school pictures that they put up on Stop. the website. You oh, should no. be with only five like, of y'all. You should be. But um, <laughs> I say it doesn't really. He doesn't fit the mold that we fit the image that we're looking for here. At but like literally, all the rest of them, like they're on the the school mm. website and stuff. Like I'd be like, it's because of this. I know. Hey, I might not say it. I know. You right. Don't the, you don't fit the brochure. <laughs> they you know, want exactly. you know, you know the digestible uh -huh. black yes. person, the the black person that they can market to the white people. That's yeah. what they like. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. But See, before I have my locks, I look like the brochure boy. So I'd be out so there. <laughs> cheesing it up and man yes yeah, so I'm, I'm glad i got these now but yeah like i said these locks they staying um, as you should, that they should as, as they, they should, should you yeah. know what i mean um because even before i started locking my hair i was just doing two strand twists so i overrocked my afro or whatever um it was funny when they i came with the afro the first day it was like i said i like your haircut i was like haircut it's not a haircut no this is hair out what are you saying to me <laughs> but yeah. um yeah so like that's one of the biggest ways I try and like, I'm not, I guess, adjusting to that, I guess. Um, mm. But I guess one of the big things is like your vernacular um, mm. and how you speak. Because um, again, as much as you want to stay true to yourself, I can't just throw out like a whole bunch of slang words yeah. in a professional setting. Oh my gosh. It's so hard for me. It but is. yeah, I it, understand. <laughs> <laughs> like I try to like talk proper a little bit at least customer service voice <laughs> i used to yes. work at chick-fil-a too so. oh, you know. oh no <laughs> not so. you working at chick-fil-a so you got that customer service voice down yeah, my pleasure that's <laughs> yes but um so that's one of the ways like i guess and again it's code switching you know yep. what i mean yep. you have to know when to turn it on and turn it off um we don't really have like a dress code per se um but I'll come in. I have an ice cube shirt. I'll wear that. School. Yeah. People actually sometimes give me compliments. Oh, I know him. Yeah. <laughs> Not the thumbs. I, I'm crying because this is so relatable when you're around a bunch of white people and they say something to you, just like, thank. Yeah. It's like, yeah. I got it. <laughs> you see your ice cube shirt and be like, oh, I love Biggie Smalls. <laughs> <laughs> it's Tupac. <laughs> oh. oh, man. 
Um, okay, wait, sorry, I had another follow-up. So um, I'm curious, and just because I know there's a lot of intersections with medicine, with pretty much everything in terms of like social class, race, gender. Mm-hmm. Um, are there any classes that you guys are like required to take either now or like in the future in medical school about that? Just because like I'm curious, um, mm-hmm. for example, at BYU, one of the requirements for pre-med was like sociology. I don't know if that was a requirement mm-hmm. um, for you at your school, but I'm just curious like what what does that look like at medical school and how are they like, I know they have that part of the little weekly thing, but is there any other education that they're incorporating for medical students? Just because that's a really big part of the job because you're dealing with people and people have lives and people have intersections and people have financial issues and medical insurance, Mm -hmm. all these things. Like how is that taught to you guys from the beginning? Yeah. So um, one of the things I guess I should preface too is my school. So it's in Camden, New Jersey. Camden's the hood. Yeah, it's in Camden. Um, okay. Camden is like one of the most poor, I guess, um, towns, cities in Jersey and kind of in the nation, honestly. Mm. Um, Camden's a food desert. Okay. Um, so there's no like, uh, which we call it, supermarkets or anything in Camden. It's a whole bunch of bodegas, poppy stores and stuff like that. Mm. They have to go like outside of the uh, country, this, wow, the city yeah. <laughs> to get their groceries and stuff like that. So Might as well be another country. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but so that's one of the things that um i guess is like preface to us so mm. one of the other things that we do is like um we have this thing called ambulatory clinic and they like basically we provide uh health care to like the uninsured patients in uh camden like it's something that we're required to do um once a month um so that's something like where we're a lot of them are Spanish speaking, either black or whatever minority. And like I said, they just don't have health insurance. So yeah. that's one spot like where you have to actively like think about these kind of things. Mm. Um, as far as didactic wise, there's not. So we also have this thing called like scholars workshop where we learn about like health insurance and stuff like mm. that um, research and all that. Um, and they kind of give like little um, lectures on, Oh, these are the different health insurances. This is how you get them. Like, this is how like a lot of people can't qualify for certain mm. things like that. Um, but it's not like, it's not nothing that we do about it, I guess you mm. could say. Um, but there is like, we also have like electives, um, but not everybody's required to take these electives. Like we have to take an elective, but there is one elective called racism in medicine. Okay. Um, I actually took that one. Um, and we talked a lot about like, you know, racism in medicine, whether yeah. it be, um, you y'all have heard of the thing where like the pain index the, and stuff the like pain that. thing uh-huh. like white doctors back in slavery time like genuinely wow. thought that black people's like nervous system was different than white people mm. so they didn't ex- like they didn't percept pain in the same way mm. like they thought oh no they're fine they're crying it's 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 not it's nothing you know what i mean like those are the types of things that we learned about there's like this guy, I want to say it's like J. Marion Sims. Um, he used, he's like the father of OB-GYN. He used to do um, like, so you you know what like a fistula is? It's basically like um, no. after like uh, a mother goes in labor, there basically can be like a, a separation or like a hole in between like her uterus and like her rectum basically. Oh, okay. Um, and mm-hmm. it can cause like not being able to go to the bathroom and stuff like that. Um, back in the day, they didn't know what, was going on they didn't know how to fix it so he was doing surgery on slaves with no anesthesia oh wow no consent they would just oh slave master send me your slave he'll just do surgery on them trying to figure out 
and he would like oh, wow. keep them like for months on end and subject them to these different uh which we call like surgeries. So like those are the types of stuff that we learned about in racism and medicine. We would have like conversations about it, like, oh, so this is what happened back in the day. How does that affect us now? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, mm. how do we see these things still perpetuating like in our medical field now? Mm. Um yeah. Yeah. do you know much and this is kind of like a random thought, but oh, I forget her name. Uh, but the black woman whose whose genes Oh, uh, they took. You What's know, her name? Um, oh my gosh, I forgot her they name. They made a movie about it. Yeah. Yes. Why am I not remembering the name? In my mind, right now. Oh, Hold on, I'm gonna look it up because I know her name too. It's not Hetty. What is her something? Henry. Henry. Yes. Okay, we got it. Do you know like a little bit about that? Could you like tell us something about that? I don't know too too much about it. Um, but if I'm not mistaken, it happened at Johns Hopkins. Um. And yeah, they basically were taking like her stem cells and stuff like that and just mm -hmm. like doing experiments on them. Um, again, kind of without her consent, without her like, you know, actually like giving that consent. So that's really like the gist of what I know. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I've never actually but watched like, that movie. Um, okay. That's yeah. one of the things I, I need to do more research. Into. I just I know that like, yeah. the bare minute. Maybe maybe I'll do a minute's moment on that next week. Yeah, do it. I'll do a minute's moment on Henrietta Lacks because like she's like responsible, like her cells are yes. responsible for stem cell therapy today. Yeah. Yep. And yeah. like there are uh, replicas of her cells in like pretty much every lab all over the world. They just mm -hmm. And they took it without to her consent. Day. Yeah. yeah. Like without it her hasn't consent. Been like, still using it for research. It hasn't and, been like, like compensated even because I feel like there should be some type of yeah. something. I, I, I don't know. It should be named after to, you, <laughs> some type of statue. Um, like, you I feel like you're yeah. going to try to sue or something like that. Like, Oh, I don't know. I like I, I remember hearing something I've heard. I don't know as much, but this is on you, Nate, to go do the research for Yeah, I'm going to go do the research. I got y'all next week. Yeah. Well, even like just like the eugenics movement overall, oh, yeah. that was really bad. Or, um, yeah, that's an example of, again, race science was a terrible um, example of just another way that medicine was like used to just like um, justify why black people are inferior or whatever mm. they were trying to prove with that. Um, it's just, yeah, it's really crazy. And I, something I'm really big into right now is just learning about um, black women and the mortality rate with giving birth oh yeah definitely um, new jersey's actually i think seven seven or nine i don't know why i remember odd numbers but it's <laughs> either seven or nine times the national average like in uh, new jersey is like how many like black maternal mortality wow. Rate wow that's wild yeah i mean it's it's higher in like more impoverished communities because mm -hmm. um there's a documentary, I think it's called Aftershock on Hulu that you can watch, which I recommend to everyone um, that talks about black women um, dealing with their mortality rate, giving birth. It's just, yeah, it's it's really sad what happens to like lower income people, um, especially like black women and the way doctors, I don't know if you have any experience with this working like in Camden, mm -hmm. just the way that they treat patients in low income areas is really horrible. Mm -hmm. They treat them as though they're second class genuinely um, because a lot of them don't have medical insurance. And so the hospitals, a lot of the times are just trying to um, get people out as quick as possible. And the quickest way to do that is a C-section, but that is also like the riskiest choice for a woman to give birth is a c-section because it is a major surgery mm -hmm. when you have major surgery there's a risk that you can die mm -hmm. you can bleed out the incision cannot be um closed properly there's just so many risk factors and so um yeah i'm very passionate about this as as a black woman um and my mom works in like a low-income mm -hmm. uh, hospital on the south side of chicago because she specifically wanted to like help this population 
as well. So yeah. that's a very big issue currently in the medical community that I know of. Yeah, no, definitely. And there was just, we actually talked about this a little bit. There was a black woman, uh, an Olympian, who just passed away. Yep. And I forget her name right now, but she just passed away from um, an issue that was preventable. I think it was preeclampsia and maybe oh, yeah. something else as well. Um, but it's something that black women commonly die from um, after yes. giving birth because it's overlooked by doctors. And you kind of talked about the the idea that black people feel less pain mm-hmm. that like, even though it's not necessarily taught anymore, it's like still, I read something that talked about how like they tested doctors yeah. um, and they like asked them to rate like people's pain indexes. And they, um, for the most part, rated black people's pain indexes to be like less. They, they believe that they experience less pain, like subconscious on a subconscious mm-hmm. level. Um, and so like those ideas kind of still prevail and you see that with like the mortality rate uh, among black women. So that's, that's interesting. But like, what else, what else do you have to like say about that? If anything, you know, I definitely agree on with both of what you say. Like, as far as like maternal, like mortality, it's not only just the stuff that's happening while you're giving birth. It's the stuff that can happen afterwards. Mm-hmm. And if a patient comes back and like, Oh, I'm having this headache, whatever. Oh, you're good. It's nothing. It's just a little migraine. You'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Turns out to be, you know, a hemorrhage or something mm-hmm. like that. And now turns into a brain bleed and now they're comatose. Like yeah. there's a lot of like um, anecdotes about stuff like that mm-hmm. where, oh, all right, you're done in pregnancy. But again, it's still, it's the fact that one facts, like, I, and I think that study that you're research or whatever it was that you're talking about like it was fairly recent like within like the Mm. 2000s Mm -hmm. um and i think they were testing like uh physicians so these are like practicing physicians mm. like and i think they they might have done one on medical students or two but like people that are practicing and study for medicine now still believe this and that's the issue um and then the other issue is that Black people and minorities that aren't like aware of things that can go on, they can't advocate for themselves. Mm. And so if you don't have an advocate, then nobody's there for you to say, oh, no, like this is more than a headache. This is more than, oh, my leg hurts. It's actually, a you know, a, a pulmonary embolism or whatever yeah. the case is. Like mm-hmm. your average, you know, minority isn't going to know what a pulmonary embolism yeah. is. Like it's a blood clot that can happen after, you know, something where have pregnancy or after a surgery or something like that it can happen starts as pain in the leg goes up into your your lungs it kind of like cuts off the blood flow to your lungs and you know that could be the end of you you know what i mean Mm. so just having like an advocate one of the big things that i feel like black people and minorities just don't have in medicine yeah yeah that's so important true yeah oh sorry you got it you got it i was gonna say my mom is a big advocate I refuse to have her in the room when I give birth, actually, <laughs> because she's a very hands-on. I don't yeah. know. Nurses and doctors are like the worst patients. Oh, yeah. Not and that. um, <laughs> that's very true with my mother, because anytime I go to the hospital, like, I'm grateful that I grew up with such a good advocate because my mom will be like, oh, what are you doing this? What are you doing this? Mm-hmm. One time this person I was dating, um, they were getting their stitches out and my mom came with us and she was like, <laughs> Oh, what are you? What are you getting to take that out with? She was like, mm, "That's <laughs> that gonna sterile? no, she, no." She was like, "You're you need to make sure you use this because it's gonna leave a scar." Like she's just super like you know when you know somebody in the medical field that's with you, yeah. um, and but not everyone has that in their mm-hmm. life. Someone to to know things to ask to question doctors in that mm-hmm. way, and um, 
yeah, so I just I feel very grateful that I've always had that in my life, um, especially as a black black child. I'm having a parent who would fight the doctor literally for anything. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's important too, because it's like you said, a lot of people they don't know how to advocate for themselves. Mm-hmm. And um, depending on who you go to, a lot of doctors are very like sure of themselves, or like oh, they're, yeah. they're used to you know like once you see x amount of patients, it's easy to kind of like fall into a routine, mm-hmm. and you kind of like forget that bedside manner. You can always tell like when a doctor has a good bedside manner versus when they've you know they they're tired of this or like they've been doing this for a long time. Yeah, um, or they're kind of like they're going through the motions, right? And they'll like do things and say things. Like I remember I had an experience with a doctor where they're just like, oh yeah, yeah, this, this is normal. You're feeling pain. That's fine. You know, that, that happens. It's fine. And I was like, no, 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 this, this doesn't feel right. You mm-hmm. know? And it was, um, I was actually, it was when I was on my mission, um, I was experiencing like some, like some pretty intense discomfort and like nausea and like sickness. And in my body, I was like, yeah, this doesn't feel right. Like I've never mm-hmm. felt like this before. Um, and I went to the doctor and they're like, oh, you have a, a an ear infection. I was like, I don't think I have an ear infection. Like, no, you just have an ear infection here. Just, just take this ibuprofen and go home, lay down. Come to find out I have bronchitis. Mm. Um, but they're out here telling me I had an ear infection and like kind of ignoring the symptoms and me saying, no, 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 I know my body. I know like what it feels like when I'm sick. And this is not anything that I felt before. Yeah. And I ended up being sick for like two weeks straight. Um, I think I lost like 20 pounds. Like I was very, very sick. Um, and it took like a week and a half before I finally got a diagnosis. Like, no, you have bronchitis and here's like, you know, a Z-Pack to help you, you know, get over the coughing and like Shout here's some Z-Pak. medicine, antibiotics, <laughs> stuff like that. But um, yeah, and it's like, it's so important to kind of listen to the patients and mm-hmm. also to be able to kind of advocate for yourself. Because I didn't know, I was, I was what, 19 at the time. So like, I didn't know how to advocate for myself and be like, no, 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 I need more help than this. And that, oh, that, oh, that's another thing too. So I don't know if you know much about LDS missions, but um you go out you serve for for two years um in a in a place that they assign like they yeah, pick like it you're and then you go to basically go to a place and do a mission trip for two years where you're just like teaching people about jesus um i got my own feelings about that now but at the time <laughs> i was yeah. gung ho right? yeah. <laughs> um but they have they'll usually call in somebody to be a doctor for all the missionaries and it's usually somebody who's like a retired doctor so they had this dude who was a retired doctor and i guess he had been used to working on black populations oh this man i'm sorry so anytime I, that's what he's saying if that's what he led with i'm, I'm nervous cool with this. I'm if that's what I'm you sorry. know what i'm saying if he yeah. led with i work with black populations i don't think you should say that right i'm like <laughs> no for real but, but the thing with this and i, I is I'm, I'm remembering it now because it was just so crazy but he uh you know i'm like a week into this illness i'm like i feel very sick i don't know what's going on but it's not an ear infection so i'm talking to this doctor and he's like oh well have you been going to the bathroom a lot and i was like well, yeah, but I also, like, I drink a gallon of water a day. I've been trying to stay very hydrated. He's like, hmm, I don't know. I think you might have diabetes. And I was like, <laughs> I, 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 telling me this day. <laughs> yeah, I was legit depressed. This man diagnosed me with diabetes over the phone. Over the phone. Over you, the phone. It's always over the phone. Uh-huh. On the mission, it's always over the phone. Yeah. This wasn't in person. There was no examination. This was just, like, an old man in his, like, 60s. I shouldn't be laughing this hard, bro. And because I go to the bathroom a lot and because I was feeling sick and weak and I had lost weight, that I had diabetes. I'm like, no, sir, I don't have diabetes. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't be eating sugar like that. I've always been very healthy. Um, but yeah, like it is just also there's other examples. Like you would be insulin resistant first in some capacity before you would go straight yeah, diabetes. Right. Like there's other signs. Yeah. <laughs> like actually weight gain, not yeah. <laughs> but okay. Yeah, that was wild. And that was kind of like one of those examples where I was like, man, this dude, like he he really messed me up for a couple of days. And I like I talked to somebody else, you don't have diabetes, man. you have bronchitis. So you know, it, it was a wild time. But um, 
I guess like what what changes would you want to see in the medical field to prevent stuff like that yeah. from being the norm or to kind of like get rid of some of those prejudices that exist out there? Yeah. Um, I think it's kind of hard to like give a soul like, oh, if we do this, everything changes tomorrow. Mm. Mm-hmm. The medical field is broken um, mm. and it's not going to get fixed overnight. But I feel like one of the big things is people have to get over those implicit biases that they have. Um, because everybody's gonna say, "Oh, I'm not racist. I'm, I like black people." As much as you want to say that, there's always that little thing in your head that, "Oh no, they'll be fine." You know, black people—they're overreacting. Whether you say it or you just think it, it can happen. So mm-hmm. that's one of the big things that like people have to realize it and like work on. I guess getting over it in a sense. Um, that's one thing. Two, there's also like a lot of politics involved, mm-hmm. um, health insurance stuff. Like yeah. a lot of people aren't, you know, eligible for health insurance because they don't make enough money. All right. They don't make enough money. They can't get health insurance. But when they go to the hospital, what you want them to do? Pay for it. Yep. Right. And that's wild. Yeah. Like if health insurance oh was gosh. affordable, that wouldn't be an issue. But like, yeah. I remember when I lost my job, um, they were like, oh, yeah, well, you can continue through COBRA, but it's going to be $1,800 a month. And I was like, I can't afford to pay that for like, you know, for health yeah. insurance. Yep. Yeah. Same with when my dad passed away. Yeah. Um, same thing. They were like, yeah, you can uh, get COBRA, but it's like, this is so expensive. Yeah, it's um, not reasonable. And thankfully, like, I'm very privileged that, like, my job has a policy where um, if you enroll, like, you can enroll at any time during the year. Oh, and, like, nice. it'll cover you mm. for the 30 days previous so, like, that was really nice, but, like, not yeah. everybody's job has that. And, like, I'm in a very privileged position working, like, where I work, the salary that I make. Like, this is not, like, most – I don't even know what the average American income is, but it's it's lower than what my salary is, I'm pretty, oh, yeah, sure. I'm pretty sure. And so, you know, like, I'm I'm in a position of privilege, and not every single person has access to that. And it's – and even if so, like, um, it's still really expensive. Like, for a family, like, even my mom growing up, like, being a nurse, she didn't pay for medical – insurance for all of us because it was really expensive to have her and four kids on insurance like that's like a lot of money a month and so um we lived in the city of chicago we went to clinics like that (laughs) um the the one that you work at once a month that's where we would go is um where we get our shots for school because we weren't sick kids either so Mm -hmm. um we didn't have to go that often but that's what we would do because medical insurance is really expensive it is um but yeah those two things um i said and it's just a lot of like intrinsic things. Um, it's nothing that's like I said, nothing's gonna get fixed tomorrow. Um, a lot of it does have to do with, you know, the personal, the the one, the single doctor, like again, also being an advocate for the uh the patient. I think it's also on minorities to learn about like at least to some extent, you know, things that can go wrong so that you can advocate for yourself because like i said if you don't have that advocate you're your biggest advocate Mm. so if you know like you were saying earlier nate like if you know something's wrong like everybody knows their body if you know something's wrong and i don't want to say like just oh webmd google because webmd webmd will tell you that you're dying and you just have a little cough but i'm saying like just know about like a lot of those different things that like can go wrong so that you can advocate for yourself and you know what your your rights are what 
things that they should be doing, what questions you should be asking, um, whether that be for you, your family member, your friend, you know, all that. Yeah. Love that, man. Love that. Okay. Um, we always ask this to our guests. What piece of advice would you give um, yourself looking back to maybe even high school you or like freshman year of college you, considering where you are now? Um, yeah, just any any advice in any capacity. Yeah. Um, I would definitely say just get out your bubble. Um, mm-hmm. Right now, I'm a lot better at that, but because... I'm out here in Utah. I'm Yay. from this side yeah. of the, the United States. So <laughs> it's like my first time on the West Coast. So I've been working on that a lot, like recently, but high school me, like I missed out on a lot of opportunities, I feel like, because I wasn't like, all right, I'm going to go do this. You know, I'm not, I'm just going to sit in the background, but I feel like I shouldn't have been doing that as much as a kid. Um, but yeah, I definitely say get out your bubble, do what you got to do, get your bread, you know. Be great. Yeah, yeah I, love I love that. It's that. nice and simple. Beautiful. Well, I can't wait to follow um your journey. And when you become an orthopedic surgeon, maybe uh, yes. when I'm an old lady, you'll do my hip surgery <laughs> or something. Uh because <laughs> yeah, um, I don't I don't like I have a calcium deficiency, so <laughs> I might actually be seeing you because I'm gonna have what's the thing that women get when their bones get real frail? Osteo- um, osteoporosis. Yeah. yeah, osteoporosis. Yeah, someone was telling me I might be prone to that. And I was like, okay, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> anyway, um, but yeah, so I'm excited to follow your journey when you um go down this into becoming you said a surgeon, correct? Right? Yeah, orthopedic oh, surgeon. Yeah, that's yeah, that's um, the goal. I'm just thinking of Grey's Anatomy, Callie Torres. <laughs> if any of you are Grey's Anatomy fans, um, yeah. I don't know anything about Grey's Anatomy except what's his name, uh, Nick Dreamy. Yes. I don't even know what he looks like. I just know the name. That's I've it. only watched like two seasons of Grey's Anatomy, and then I stopped. That's it was why? Was it too much? I, yeah, it was too much. Okay, I understand. too long. Too long of an episode. Too much going on. Yeah, a lot going some on. things are true, but a lot of it is dramatized. Yes, the medicine <laughs> I know is false. Um, but those medical TV shows have me in a chokehold because I also watch like Sh- Chicago um, Med. I think that's oh, one. Yeah. yeah, another one I watch. I just like the unrealistic stories. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. All right, with that, I think that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we jump into recommendations. Yep. You want to go first? I can go first. Cool. Okay. My recommendation for the week, um, obviously I was in Seattle this weekend and it was so beautiful. So I recommend getting out there to that side of the country. Um, Growing up in the city in Chicago, very like East Coast vibes, like it's just so crazy being on like coastal cities and the smell of the water and um, also going to like the the public market area and getting the bouquets so beautiful i wish everywhere had that because they're like bouquets for like 15 20 that are like handmade um beautiful i brought my own back all the way on the plane and it's sitting in my room right now because it was just so pretty and so um that's my recommendation is go visit either seattle if you're from the east coast or go visit the the east coast if you're from that side of the country because they're just so different and they have um really beautiful things about them that I appreciate for different reasons. And um, my life goal is to visit every state. And so um, I recommend putting putting some effort towards doing that because the world is so beautiful and it's always cool to see a new place that you're not necessarily comfortable with. Um, and you might find something that you really like that you didn't expect. So that's my recommendation. Love it. My recommendation, go watch The Blackening. <laughs> I want to go see that. I want to go see it too. Yes. Yeah. So I I went and saw it uh, a couple of days ago. 
when saw it in theaters it's uh like a basically just a horror movie that came out that has black people in it and i loved it for that reason like it wasn't anything spectacular um in the sense that like it wasn't like over the top or it wasn't like this huge sensation or anything like that it was just a regular horror movie that just starred all black people and i love that because that's not something that you get to see often i just love to see like black people doing things that like other people do and they just do it regular you know what i mean yeah like it was cool to just go watch a horror movie and just to have it like have black people in it and then there was like some humor that's like more relatable to black people uh. and so it was just kind of cool to be able to relate to something in a different way i mm-hmm. enjoy a good horror film i enjoy a good slasher movie but it was cool to be able to go and see one where i was represented and that's not something i'd ever had in that particular realm before so that was cool to see um so go check out the blackening it's very funny and entertaining that's my recommendation mm-hmm. isaiah what you got my man all right, can I give myself a shout out real quick? Yes, yeah, you ahead. can. <laughs> so uh, me and my roommate, I told you, we're the only two black men in our class. Um, we actually have our own little podcast. We're trying to get it a little... Yes, okay, yes. We're trying to get a little popping. Um, that's something that that's in the works. Uh, we have a few episodes out. It's called Black in Medicine. It's okay. very similar to what y'all got going on with Black Menaces, but oh. we're black, the letter N, medicine. Okay. Oh. Um, Okay, we'll make sure to put this in the uh, description yeah, we'll so people can go yeah, to it. Facts, facts, mm-hmm. facts. But um, literally, it's just me and him. We live together. So our little adventures are, you know, talking literally just about the stuff that y'all been asking me about Um, from both of our perspectives. We're both from, you know, Black communities in Jersey. Um, He wants to do internal medicine. So he wants to do, like, primary care. Um, I want to do surgery. So I want to do that part. So... You know, if you just want to hear two black men in medicine, talk about medicine, talk about life, talk about how to get into medicine, all that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Love that, man. Love that. Love that. That's a wonderful, that's best recommendation in a while. Wow. I love that. I do got a question though. I need your professional opinion on this. All right. So (laughs) this is important, right? I need your professional medical opinion. Oh gosh. I'm scared. Cool. cool. On the healing properties of ginger ale and saltine crackers. (laughs) (laughs) How how much power do they actually have? Um, it's got as much power as your mama says it got. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good answer. That's, that's a, a good answer. answer right there. <laughs> that's good. I love that. I love that. Yeah, because man, growing up, that was the heal all. Like no, no matter what illness you had, you had and I hate leg. ginger ale. I ginger ale is nasty. For real, I love ginger ale. Oh, I think it's so gross. You I don't like how to love it. I don't like carbonation. So, oh, you know me good. and my pop. Not you being carbonist. <laughs> <laughs> we have this debate. I always, I always say pop. I refuse to say soda. Oh, no, it's soda. See, pop. I guess that's my Colorado talking, but no, it's, it's definitely soda. I don't know what pop is. Oh, yeah, we don't call it pop over over in Jersey. Soda. I'm from the Midwest. You got Chicago's a city, but we're in the Midwest and we own it. Yes, pop. <laughs> cool. Well, Isaiah, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. We appreciate course, you. Uh, appreciate y'all for having me. Yes, oh yeah, we appreciate you. your 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 wisdom, your expertise, your knowledge, all that good stuff. So we appreciate you, man. Of course, appreciate it. Thank you. Cool. And with that, we'll catch y'all. Next week. Yep. Bye. Thank you for joining us on the Black Menace podcast today. Make sure to follow us on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter at the Black Menaces. And make sure to subscribe to our Patreon, the Menace Society, where you can get bonus content from us on the podcast, as well as extra clips from our videos that we film. And don't forget to email us at blackmenacepodcast at gmail.com for menace moments or any other questions that you want us to answer because this show is for you guys thank you and remember always be a menace thank you